At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Morning, how you doing? Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald, and I have the privilege of being uh, the teaching and preaching pastor here uh, at the church. And so if you're new, I just want to welcome you and, uh, and just let you know if, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we've been praying for you uh, uh, already uh, before you even showed up this morning. So we're really glad that you're here. We're going to go ahead and jump in this morning. We've got some work to do before we get to our text. As we open up God's Word, it begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This very famous statement that we've all heard uh, that we're very used to. The Bible begins with what God does, not necessarily with who He is. Okay, let me say that again. The Bible opens up with, in the beginning, God created. Okay? That is telling us something that he did, not necessarily who he is. Now, it does reveal to us that God is creator, but that is less than a comprehensive definition of who God is. And I think that that's a pretty important question. Who is Who is God? In God's wisdom, this is the way that he wanted it. Meaning the Bible does not begin with this is who God is. It does not necessarily give us a comprehensive definition. All throughout Genesis, we continue to catch more glimpses of who this God is by what he does. Meaning we see that God is a God who destroys with the flood. That happens in Genesis. We also discover that he is a God who makes covenants. He makes covenants with Noah and Abraham. Uh, And in addition, uh, we see that he is a God that intervenes in history. But again, all of this is less than a comprehensive definition of who God is. It's almost like we have to wait until Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3 to really discover who God is. And in Exodus chapter 3, that's exactly what happens. In Exodus chapter 3, what becomes crystal clear is who God is. We get this comprehensive answer given to us of who God is. And we learn not just what God does, but we learn who God is because of this. We're given God's name. Now, for most of us, um, we choose our kids' names because they sound cool, or at least we think that they do. Okay. When we were deciding what we should name our kid, you know, we're like, well, I like this name or I don't like the way this name sounds. And you have to do the, the banana Fofana game. You guys know that one to make sure that your kid's name doesn't rhyme with anything ridiculous. So, so you got to do that. It's got to pass that test. And then or, or sometimes maybe it's a family name or something like that. In the Bible, names are much more intense than just they sounded cool in the Bible. They're given names because it shows their identity. 
name, a name tells who you are. And that's exactly what we see in Exodus chapter 3. Go ahead and, and turn there. Exodus chapter 3. You guys know what's happening. I'm not going to do background here, um, but in Exodus chapter 3, um, what, what we're seeing is that the children of Israel have been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years, and, and this is the famous um, burning bush scene where Moses uh, goes and he sees this, this bush that is it's on fire, but it's not burning up. It's not burning away. And there's this very interesting dialogue which happens between God and Moses. Look at verse 13 in chapter 3. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? It's a very interesting question because it, it, in a way, God is already identified, is he not? He is identified by this, the God of your fathers. So it's, it's not as if Moses doesn't know who fully this God is. I mean, he, he knows this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, but he's asking, what is the true identity of this God? That's, what, that's why he's asking the name. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. M Moses asks, God, what is your name? Or what, what's, the, what's the essence of you? What's the, your true identity? God says, I am who I am. Now, does anyone else find that a bit confusing? <laughs> I want to know your true identity. I want to know what is at the base, the heartbeat of, of who you are, God. I am who I am. And then in this passage, just to clarify, he even says it even shorter, right? Look, look back at 14. I am who I am. Okay, still a bit confused. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. So he gives it to him in the long form. I am who I am. And then in the short form, I am. You can, you can almost see Moses going, I am what? <laughs> I am Carl, uh, Bob, George, Josephus. You know, give me a name, something like help me out here, God. Well, in verse 15, that's exactly what God does. God said to Moses, apparently because Moses was standing there not knowing what to say. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. If you're taking notes, God's word reveals to us that God is Lord. God is Lord. In your ESV Bible, the word Lord represents the word Yahweh, represents this term Yahweh. That, that's what it means. And it's used over 7,000 times in your Bible. It refers to God the Father and it refers to Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, you guys still with me? Did we jump into too much theology too quick? Okay. So if God has revealed himself to us to be Lord, now we must take that one step further and ask, what does it mean that God is Lord? So if we're saying, what is at the essence of who God is? What is God's name? We want to know God's identity. God says, all right, fine, I'll let you know who I am. I am Lord. We must then take it a step further and say, okay, what does it mean for God to be Lord? This is, this is a term that gets thrown around in church, is it not? 
Jesus, hey, mm, praise him. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Oh, is Jesus your Lord? You know, th- this is something that is common in church context, but I wonder if we really know what that means for God to be Lord. Here's what it means. You can, it's not going to come on the screen, but I encourage you to just kind of jot this off to the side where it says, uh, where you've written down God's word reveals to us that God is Lord. Jot down, it means this. He is in control and he has all authority. Think about it like this. A, a, Lord, is, a Lord is the guy in charge, is he not? A, a Lord is like king. Meaning, meaning, again, that he is the one in control. Meaning this, he has the power to execute his will. If God wants something done, it will happen. Period, paragraph, full stop. No circumstance, no natural disaster, no new organization or nation or even human will can stop him. We just opened up the service by singing a song that says, who can stop the Lord, the Lord Almighty? Answer, no one. Why? Because he's Lord, because he is sovereign God over the entire universe. In addition, this idea of God being Lord also carries with it that he has all authority. This is why when Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, when he's giving the Great Commission, we, we all know the Great Commission, which is go therefore to all the nations, baptizing them, making disciples. We know that. But you know what he says right before that? He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me Now, go therefore and make disciples. So God has all authority. The lordship of God means he has all authority, meaning this. He has the right to tell his creatures what to do. He is sovereign Lord over all. It's his right because he is Lord. Well, I don't like that. Well, tough. He's Lord and you're not. That's what it means for God to be Lord. He asserts his will over all things everywhere. Okay, Intro to sermon officially done. <laughs> now, at this point, you might be asking, uh, Pastor Kirk, did you forget that we were in the book of 1 Samuel? I would answer, no, no. We're getting to that. Just, just stay with me. Today in our text, we're going to see a God who never fails to deliver. We're going to see a God who never fails to rescue. His protection is persistent. Did you know that about God? God's protection is persistent. David gets in hot water and God delivers him. David gets in hot water again, God delivers him. David gets in hot water four times in this chapter and God delivers him again and again and again. You see, it is the reason that God delivers him is precisely because God is Lord. Follow me? Meaning this, God has set this little shepherd boy on a path to be king. You remember that? We saw Samuel uh, anoint this, this shepherd boy because this was the king that God has chosen. So God has set this little shepherd boy on a path to be king. David is the king that God has chosen. So question, what are the chances that David becomes king? 100%. It's, it's a 100% chance that David is going to become king. Why? Because God selected him to be king and God is Lord. Sovereign Lord, ruling and reigning over all. That is why God continues to save him. And so the question, another question, can a giant Philistine stop David from becoming king? No. Uh, What about flying spears? You remember in uh, chapter 18, I'm just going to glance over uh, chapter 18, verse 11, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him Twice in chapter 18. 
Can a giant stop David from getting to the throne? Absolutely not. Can flying spears stop David from getting to the throne? Absolutely not. Why? Because God is Lord. How about this? What about the Philistine hordes in chapter 18, verse 25? At the end of it says this, Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So he goes out to battle and fight against the Philistines. Can the Philistines stop him from getting to the throne? Absolutely not. Because David is so powerful? No, it's because God is Lord and God never fails to protect his anointed. Amen? Amen. His chosen will always be defended. If you're taking notes, this is, this is the one note that I want you to get this morning. You are in the hands of the Father and your Father is the sovereign Lord ruler over all. You are in the hands of the Father this morning, church family. Amen. You are in the hands of the Father, and your Father is the sovereign Lord, ruler over all. I want that to sink down into your soul this morning. I want that to rest on you because I believe that if we can get that truth in our soul, if we can get that truth deep down in our heart, that it radically transforms our entire life. It, it changes how we view our job. It changes how we view our family. It changes how we view finances. It changes how we view sex. It changes how we view everything when we understand I am in the hands of the Father and my Father is sovereign Lord ruler over all. What if the next time you felt trapped, stuck, helpless, hopeless, this truth just came to rest on your your soul. I think it would, I think it would change you. And so that is my hope this morning is that as we go through this text and we see David repeatedly rescued, that the truth that I'm in the hands of the father and my father is sovereign Lord ruler over all would come to rest on the souls of every person at gospel community church. That's my hope this morning. Let's go ahead and dive into our text. I'm going to begin with verses 1 through 3. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. So you can almost imagine the, uh, the, the king's cabinet meeting. He has his important officials there, and they're all sitting at the table. His son is there. Uh, he says, uh, men, I have a matter of national security. If, if you remember, again, back in chapter 18, do you remember that line that Saul said about David? What more can he take other than the kingdom? Saul is terrified of this young shepherd boy who continues to win battles, who continues to gain um, notoriety and win favor with the public. And so there he sits in his cabinet meeting with his generals and his officials and his son who's... Uh, most likely going to take over his throne after, after he's gone. And he says, men, I have a matter of national security. This, this boy, David, he's, he's got to go. And so in a strange turn of events, look, it says, and Jonathan uh, it, it was there. 
Verse 2, and Jonathan told David. Now, you got a shot to be king, okay? <laughs> that's, that's kind of a good deal. And all Jonathan really needs is for King Saul to like totally go nuts, which he's really not that far off. He needs him to like to totally go nuts or croak. In either of those two circumstances, Jonathan at this point is really the next in line to be king. And so who stands to gain the most by David's death? Jonathan. Jonathan should be excited. Absolutely. Kill him. <laughs> but it says this, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, <clears throat> and to all the servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. Why does the one who stands the most to gain by David's death delight in David so much? Why is he so... Well, again, back in chapter 18, just flip over to 18 and look at verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Church family, who is in charge of knitting souls? <laughs> Anyone got that on their job description? I'm great with Excel spreadsheets. I can also knit souls. No, it is, it is the Lord, the sovereign Lord who knits people's souls together. And so even before the secret cabinet meeting where they put out a contract on David's life, God had already been preparing the deliverance. Some of you this morning find yourself trapped, stuck, helpless, and hopeless, and God has already been preparing your deliverance. And it's going to unfold in, in this way. So there they are. Uh, Jonathan kind of gives David the tip, and Jonathan told David, uh, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard this morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. So um, Jonathan can't put on a wire and go meet Saul. Okay, this is, you know, ancient Israel. They don't have spy cameras or drones or anything like that. So they have to do it old school. This is like the old, you know, go hide in a bush and we'll come over, and I'm going to have this conversation, and you can essentially listen in so that he can get the full scope of what's happening and what's going on. Listen to how Jonathan, um, whose soul has been knit to David's by God himself, listen to how he defends his friend and calls out the king um, for his sin. Verse 4, And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David. I mean, he's, he's direct, he's bold, he's calling it what it is. If you do this, it's sin. Because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine, Goliath, and who? The Lord, the sovereign Lord of the universe, worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in, the, in his presence as before. He, he pleads with him in this, um, in this convicting 
basically charged. This is sin. He is the Lord's, uh, the Lord has worked this mighty work in David. And so basically he's pleading with his father in this way. If you go against David, the Lord is with David. So to go against David is to go against the Lord. And, and dad, that's not a good idea, is, is essentially what he's saying. And he uses this term, innocent blood, innocent blood. He's reminding him of the law in Deuteronomy that if you kill someone without cause, if you kill innocent blood, then the law requires that that person be killed. And so he's, he's reminding him of, of God's law and what should happen. And so you would think that someone as hard-headed and as insane as Saul would really just say, whatever, I don't care. I mean, Saul has been called out for sin and by Samuel and has really just kept on going. But for some reason, for some strange reason, it... it lands directly on his heart. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore as the Lord, there it is again, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And just like that, God delivered David from this attempt on his life through his friend making a speech to an insane king. God used that to deliver him and he was restored back to his position in the kingdom once again. If you're taking notes, you will be kept safe until your work here is done. Church family, you will be kept safe until your work here is done. Meaning this, um, say it a little bit different way, you ain't punching the clock until your shift is over. Meaning, meaning this, God has anointed you, God has appointed you, and given you works to do. And until those works are complete, you're safe. God will continue to deliver you. Now, friends, let me be clear. God has not anointed you to be king over Israel. That, that, was, that was David's spot, not yours. You don't get that spot. He has not chosen you to be the foreshadow of his coming Messiah. Okay? Again, that was David's spot, not yours. But God still has amazing plans for your life. God still has work for you to do that only you can do. God has uniquely crafted you, uniquely made you, and designed you for a specific mission and a specific purpose that, that I can't do. I can't do what God's called you to do. Nobody can. It is a unique purpose just for you. God has already set things in motion so that you might bring about good works, works to glorify him, works that are going to bring you joy, works that are going to help other people, works that are going to be a blessing to other people, words of encouragement that only you can speak to your spouse, words of encouragement that only you can speak to the friends, to the friends that you have, to the co-workers, people out there that God wants you to share the gospel with so that they might be saved by the sovereign Lord. These are the good works that he has for you. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I wonder if you believe that about yourself. I wonder if you believe that I am God's workmanship and God has these works for me to do 
that he has already set these things in motion for me to do them, and they're good works, works that will glorify him, works that will be a blessing to other people. And until those works are complete, I'm not going anywhere. I wonder if you believe that about yourself this morning. So God saved with a warning from Jonathan and a speech, and Saul makes this oath before the Lord. Well, the oath that Saul swore didn't last very long, and there's kind of these two events that encourage Saul to break his oath. Verse 8, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in the house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. So the scene is set. David goes out to battle and does a good job. As we've seen thus far, every time David does something awesome, little Mr. Jealous Pants over here just can't contain himself. Saul gets really grumpy every time David does something awesome. And in addition... It's not only that, verse 9, then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. We've already seen this. I I, I don't don't go down this rabbit trail too far, but basically because of Saul's disobedience, God has removed his spirit from Saul, and a spirit of judgment has landed upon Saul in such a heavy way, it's causing him to go insane, literally, clinically insane. And so those two things. And so now the scene is set. Now, I know some of you have some difficult work situations. As he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. This is David's job, okay? When he gets grumpy, you play the lyre, and it calms him down. This is his work environment, okay? Your work environment, not this bad. I want you to get this picture in your mind. Here here is the battle, okay? The battle is between... The shepherd boy, now he is a warrior, we've just seen that, but one has a guitar, okay? They're going to battle. One has a guitar. The other one has a spear. As a matter of fact, Saul is an accomplished warrior himself, is he not? We've seen him lead the troops into battle and do a bunch of great things. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped from him. So <laughs> this is absolutely insane. He, he escapes. The skilled warrior with the spear in a room can't capture the dude with a guitar. Skilled warrior with spear, shepherd boy with guitar. Yet he, yet he makes it through, yet he escapes. It's almost as if David has a guardian angel looking over him. It's almost as if he was protected. And, and, and while we might say this oftentimes in a joking way, oh, you must have a guardian angel, it's absolutely true. Now, let me tell you the story. Um, I'm not a mechanic, okay? I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a pretend to be carpenter. I'm not a mechanic, Okay. But my brakes were a little squeaky, and so I thought I would address the issue myself. Save money and all that. So 
you know, I buy what I need to buy, the brake pads and all that kind of stuff, and take the wheel off, and I'm, I don't know what any of this stuff I'm looking at, but, you know, I'm holding the piece. I'm like, oh, there, it's right there. I just have to put this back right there like it's already there. So, you know, figuring this out as I go, replace the brake pads on my truck. And I'm driving down the road, and it's still just kind of not, you know, it's stopping, um, but, like, it kind of has a, a hitch in the giddy-up. You know what I mean? So I decide, all right, fine, I'll break down and take it to a mechanic, let a mechanic look at it, and um, I'm there in the waiting room, and uh, the mechanic comes out, and he says, uh, Mr. McDonald, not only did you buy the wrong brake pads, you also installed them incorrectly. And mechanically, I have no idea how your truck has been stopping at all. You must have a guardian angel. Now, before we dive too deeply into this idea of guardian angels, um, I just want to read Psalm 34, 7. Psalm 34, 7 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And delivers them. The angel of who? The Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. And I believe that's exactly what was happening in that room when Saul was going through his fits of rage and David was playing the lyre for him. And as Saul went to kill him, the angel of the Lord protected the anointed. Now, what do we mean when we say angel of the Lord? Well, we must understand what this idea of angel uh, in the Old Testament is. When we say angel, what do we mean? Well, the word angel literally means, anybody know? Messenger. The word angel literally means messenger. And so anytime we see this idea of the angel of the Lord, it does not automatically mean an angel like Gabriel or Michael. All it means is messenger. And so we must ask, in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, when it speaks of the angel of the Lord, who is it speaking about? Who is the angel of the Lord that is with you and protects you and delivers you? Well, let's jump back to Exodus because I, I think I've piqued your curiosity now. Let's jump back to Exodus and I want to take a look back at this text, this very familiar text that, that we just read from Exodus chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Now, you were always told that it was God speaking to Moses in the bush, right? Weren't you told that? And then what you believe before you read verse 2? Yeah. Look at Exodus 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Anyone confused? So now which is it? Is there an angel in the bush, meaning like Gabriel or Michael or one of those guys? Or is it God who is speaking to Moses from the bush? You guys are looking really confused. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. Stay with me. This angel of the Lord then goes on to what do we already read from verses 13, 14, and 15. This angel of the Lord reveals himself. He gives him the name of who he is. So we don't have to wonder, is this Gabriel? Is this Michael? We know what messenger is speaking to Moses from the bush. What messenger? I am who I am. Now, who says in John 5, or I'm sorry, in John chapter 8, 58, who is it that says before Abraham was, I am? Jesus. 
Thank you. Okay, you guys are with me now. So when, when we say that a guardian angel is protecting me, as long as we mean that it is Jesus who is with us, it is Jesus who protects us, it is Jesus who delivers his anointed, we are absolutely true. And so from the crazed mind of the spear-wielding Saul, David is delivered. He is delivered because... Psalm 34, 7, again, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and they deliver him. If you're taking notes, Jesus delivers his anointed every time without fail. Jesus delivers his anointed, his chosen, his people every time without fail. In a real spiritual sense, Jesus is encamped around us, ready to deliver us when troubles come. Here's what that means, church family. It means that you are not alone. As, as you go to face the particular battles that you must face, you're not alone. You don't face those enemies alone. You face them with the messenger, with the angel, the angel of the Lord who is with you, encamped around you, ready to deliver you. You are not alone. Now, there are four times in this chapter, we've already stated four times that God delivers David. We have seen the first two. Now, let's take a look at the third. He's been delivered from the hit put out on his life. He's been delivered from the flying spears of Saul. Now in verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window and fled away and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put pillows of goat's hair on its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, uh, saying to him, bring him in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillows of goat's hair on its head. And Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus? And let my enemy go so that he has escaped. And Michal answered, Saul said, uh, uh, Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? David flees from the palace after getting a spear thrown at his head. And he thinks that it's safe to go home. And so you can, you can almost imagine David's wife there in the kitchen, looking out the kitchen window and seeing a henchman pass by. And maybe she goes to the front room and out the window, again, there's another henchman kind of circling the house. And, and these men are kind of coming in to surround the house to kill him. But, but she takes him and she sneaks him out the back window. And in this crazy, strange course of events, it, it says, look at verse 13. And Mikhail took an image. Again, we're, who, who's reading out of the ESV? ESV people? Okay, we're, we're jumping down into footnotes. Okay, just calm down, calm down. <laughs> look down at your footnote. You should have number one there. It says, or household God. Now, what's happening here is you have to remember these people were not always 100% um, allegiant to God, Yahweh God, the one true God. And there have been many calls throughout the Old Testament to put away your idols, put away your idols. And so apparently she had 
kind of put them away, not fully or completely. She still had this idol laying around in her house, this life-size image that they would bow down to and worship. And so she gets this idea and she runs and she grabs the life-size idol, lays it in the bed, puts a blanket and clothes over it, grabs this goat skin, you know, hair looking stuff and puts it up here so that it looks like there's a body in the bed, right? Like uh, you guys have seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Come on. Remember the scene when he puts the dummy in the bed and the mom comes up the stairs and she opens up the door and the dummy, like he's got it rigged up and the dummy rolls over and he's got the synthesizer playing the snoring noise. Come on, you guys have seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's exactly the same thing. The henchmen come to the door. Uh, is, is David here? Uh, he has an appointment. <laughs> uh, the king wants to see him shoved off of a cliff. Um, is David around? And she said, oh, you know, you, you can imagine her coming to the door with like a thermometer, you know, and, and some cough drops. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's, he's sick. He can't, he can't come out, you know. And apparently these henchmen are, you know, uh, sensitive to the fact that he's sick. I guess we'll kill him later. And so they go and they tell Saul, hey, he's, he's sick, you know, and, and we can't, you know, what do you want us to do, man, you know? And, and Saul's like, well, go get, pick up the whole bed. If he's so sick, he can't get out of bed. Pick up the whole bed and bring him because I want him killed. And, and then the, 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 it's discovered. And what was happening during all of that time? <laughs> he gone, right? He is, he's out the window and he's gone, Right? So, I mean, you've got to get this picture in your mind, like how God just delivered. God just delivered by using an idol, a goat skin pillow, and, you know, a story made up by David's wife. And that's, that's all that they needed. He's, he's right out the door. And so if you're, if you're taking notes, this, the means and the method of God's deliverance can come from anywhere because he is in control of everything. I feel, like, I feel like some of you may have come in this morning believing that your situation is hopeless. The situation with your dad, you're like, it's hopeless. The situation with your spouse, like, we've tried everything. We've done everything, and, and it's hopeless. I've done everything that I know to do to beat this addiction, and it keeps coming back. It's hopeless. Friends, I want you to hear me. Hear the voice of the Lord from the pages of Scripture. He can deliver. He can deliver by any means, by any method, by any way. Why? Because he's the Lord the sovereign Lord over all things, who can use an old idol they had laying around in the closet, a goatskin pillow, and some dumb henchmen. Boom, David's out. He's delivered. No situation is hopeless when the Lord is your God. So God's deliverance in this last section, we've seen him deliver through a friend and his speech. We've seen him deliver through protecting David from flying spears and protecting David um, from these henchmen and using an idol to, to do so. God's deliverance in this last section is just downright hilarious. <laughs> when you understand what's really happening, verse 18, now David fled and encamped 
and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done. You can imagine this just really kind of breaking the heart of Samuel, who really did have, uh, used to have a friendship with Saul. And it was told to Saul, Behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well at Siku, and he asked, where are uh, Samuel and David? And, once, uh, and one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all the day and night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets. What's, what's happening in this section? Okay, it's, th- there's kind of some questions that, that we have to dive into when, when we're really trying to understand exactly what's happening. So apart from the kingdom, there's this place about two miles away called Ramah, and there um, Samuel has a school of prophets, Th- these men that he's training, these men that he's teaching God's word, he's teaching them uh, the, the ways of being a prophet. And, and so when they show up there, when David gets there, there is Samuel and he's prophesying with his prophets. Now, uh, a word about prophecy, if you're, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It's not going to come on the screen. Prophecy is a word from God spoken to man for God's people. That's what prophecy is at, at its simple base if you're curious about what that word means, it's a word from God spoken to man for God's people. That's what prophecy is. But we also need to understand that prophecy can come in many different forms, meaning how God speaks to the person, how that person relays the message to God's people, what it does to that person. Um, So all that said, what seems to be happening in this text is there seems to be something very, very powerful about this prophetic word in Ramah. It was so powerful that it would literally take you over. Okay, like literally when God would start to speak to this person and they were speaking out loud to God's people, they kind of lost control of themselves and couldn't uh, really do what they had set out to do. Like they were overtaken. They were subdued in a really real way. Like you're not, you're no longer in control of your mind or your body. God is in control of your mind and your body when you're doing this prophetic word in Rama. And so what happens is Saul sends these messengers to go get David to kill him, and they show up there, and God takes control of them. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're here to kill my anointed? You, you, you want a piece of my chosen king? Okay, gotcha. You're under my control now. Do what I tell you to do. And they started prophesying. Now, I wish the text would tell us what it was that they were prophesying. You can, I can only imagine that they were praising the coming king, right? They, they were praising the Messiah that was to come. I mean, that, it, it has to be what it was they were saying, but we can't be sure. And so Saul begins to employ, you know, the, the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And so he sends more messengers to go get David, yet when those messengers show up, God's like, oh, you sent, <laughs> you sent more. Hey, he sent more. That's okay. Got him. 
took control of them and they start prophesying. And then he sent them a third to a third group of messengers and God took control of them. And so he was done with the old adage, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And he switches to a new one. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And so he says, fine, I'll go down there. I'm going, get my horse. And so, so he's on the way to, he's not even there yet. Did you, did you see that? And he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He, <laughs> he hadn't even got there yet. And God's like, oh, he's on the way. Uh, he's, everyone, he's on the way. Got him. And took control of him, subdued him, and he began to prophesy all the way up. Did you see this amazing thing? And he... Two stripped off his clothes. Now, the commentators are kind of like confused about like who's all naked at this party, right? <laughs> Was it all the prophets? Or what, it, <clears throat> what it really seems to suggest is that it was only the kidnappers and Saul. That those guys, he's like, subdues them. All right, strip. They strip. And they lay down prostrate and begin to prophesy. And just they just keep coming in and God just keeps going, oh, got him. Yep, oh, oh, there, yep, he's, mm-hmm. Next one. Next. And there, I mean, you've just got to see these three groups of kidnappers, totally subdued by the hand of God, stripped naked, laying face down, along, along with the king. This is hilarious the sovereign Lord directly saving his anointed, his chosen servant. Church family, I'm here to tell you, God delivers. I'm not here to say I know how God is going to deliver. I just know that he does. I'm just telling you that he delivers. He is the sovereign Lord and his deliverance is sure. So what does this all mean? What does all this mean, these four scenes of God delivering through various and different means, through various and different ways, God consistently delivering? It means this, what you're facing is not too big for God. Whatever it is that you're facing, the addiction, the abuse, the issues in your marriage, your depression, your loneliness, your daddy issues, God can deliver. He might not deliver how you think, naked kidnappers face down to the ground. <laughs> he might not deliver how you think he's going to deliver, but God is the God who delivers. Last note, sometimes the greatest evidence that God is with you is not that he gets you out of the storm, but that you are still standing in the middle of it. Yes. You see, God doesn't kill Saul right away. I mean, this whole chapter could have, okay, uh, chapter, chapter 19, verse 1, and Saul spoke to Jonathan and his son and all his servants that they should kill David, verse 2, and then God killed Saul, the end. Whole chapter's over, right? David is anointed king, and then and it's done. That's not how God often works. God's deliverances or how we can know that God is with David through all of this is because at the end of the day, 
David is still standing. The spear being chucked at his head, he makes it out. The, the henchmen surrounding his house, and he makes it out. Kidnappers, three groups of kidnappers coming to get him, and he makes it out. He stands, he stands through the storm. This, this is what God does. This is how God reveals himself. This is how God reveals himself in our lives. This is how God revealed himself in the life of another David, a David that we all know, David Thacker. As we ask God to deliver him the way that we wanted him to be delivered, which was to be set free from his cancer. But that is not how God delivered. But did God deliver? Yes. Yes. He delivered him into glory where he is today. And all throughout that storm, it was incredible and a great privilege of my life to see David Thacker stand in that storm. So, more often than not, the deliverance is not that God gets you out of the situation, but that he gives you strength to make it through. See, Saul is not done chasing David. We might look at this and say, God should have just delivered David by killing Saul, but that's not how it ends. And in God's great providence, he delivers how he will deliver because he is the sovereign Lord. You see, there was another king whom they wanted to kill. It was King Jesus, and, and many times they closed in on him to kill him. You remember? The crowds surrounded him to take him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees surrounded him to take him and to kill him. But time and time and time again, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament accounts, we see Jesus delivered, delivered, delivered out of the hands of the mobs that sought to, sought to kill him. But eventually they did catch him. Eventually, this king was caught. Eventually, this king was betrayed. This chosen king was betrayed by a kiss in, in the garden. And so they did kill this king. They hung King Jesus on a tree. So was King Jesus not delivered? Did God the Father not deliver this great king? Well, no. For it was the will of the sovereign Lord to crush him. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Some of you are feeling crushed, but that does not mean that God does not deliver. As Jesus hung there on a tree, the disciples must have thought, God doesn't deliver. As they put Jesus into the tomb, they must have thought, God doesn't deliver. God has failed to deliver. As they waited all Saturday, they must have been feeling, God has failed to deliver. This God who obviously all throughout the Old Testament has shown himself to be a God who delivers every single time. On Saturday, it felt like to them that God had failed to deliver, but they had to wait till Sunday morning. Because on Sunday morning, that, that stone rolled away and Jesus, the king, the anointed king, the chosen king, walks out of the tomb showing that God is a God who faithfully delivers every single time without fail. Amen. And so many of us this morning are calling out to this God who delivers and asking him 
to do so. And I say again, Jesus was delivered by the hand of the Father on Sunday morning when he came walking out of the grave victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And so you have received the greatest deliverance you will ever need. And that deliverance has come through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't know what type of Saul is chasing you, but I do know the God, the sovereign Lord who is protecting you. Let's pray. Oh God, that we would be a people whose hearts sing. I am in the hands of the Father, and my Father is sovereign Lord over all. Lord, I don't know all of the troubles and the woes. I know many, but I don't know them all. But I don't need to because you do. You know the pain. You know the addiction. You know the hurt. You know the abuse. You know the past failures. And you are a God who delivers. And so we call upon the name, this sovereign Lord, the name I am who delivers. And we plead the blood of Jesus that was shed upon the cross that delivers us from sin, death, and the devil. And we ask, O Lord, that Psalm 34 would be true, that the angel of the Lord is encamped around us, and he will deliver. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.